No animal could be that companion to Adam. And that's the point of this. Companionship is the basic need of a man. It's the main reason why someone should get married. Companionship. Not because of sex, and not because he has feelings for that young lady or she has feelings for him. It's not why you get married. Companionship is the basic purpose of marriage. It's why it's good. Now maybe you're hearing this, men, and you're thinking, Oh, I don't know. I wish I was half as wonderful as my dog thinks I am. Well, I don't want to make light of the bond that many of us have with our pets, but there is nothing that compares with the bond of companionship, a sense of completeness that exists in a healthy marriage. We hope today's program gives you some tools that will be effective in making your marriage a better one. Hi there, and welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our instructor. Pastor Steve has been preaching and ministering at Lakeside since 1981. We wanted to reach more people with Pastor Steve's practical verse-by-verse Bible teaching, and that led to the birth of verse-by-verse ministries. If you are hearing us for the first time today, we want to welcome you to our class. We want to let you know that we appreciate you And we pray that the lessons we share here are profitable for you. If you are in a position to take notes and follow in your own Bible, we encourage that. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Pastor Steve is in a series of messages about the biblical family. And this is part two of a three-part message, which gives a general overview of the basics of a biblical family. Right now, here's Pastor Steve. Now, Adam had a lot going for him. You know, that's, that's really interesting to think about. Adam had a lot of wonderful things going for him before he was married. He had a beautiful home. He, he was in the Garden of Eden. Gorgeous home. He had a good job. He had a job. Where do you read that? Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate, cultivate it and keep it. He didn't have thorns. He didn't have weeds. It was before the fall of man. So he had, he had a beautiful home, the garden. He had a great job, the best. In fact, the only one. And he had, and he had a, a relationship with the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord, verses 16 and 17. But from the, God said, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, eat from it, you shall surely die. And, and let's look at verse... Um, 16, I jumped to verse 17, but it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. And then he said, But one you shall not. So there was a relationship. God was giving him commands, and Adam was responding at first. So there was a relationship. But there was something missing in Adam's life, and it was simply human companionship. Human human companionship. We read in verse 18, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, I know that the King James Version says a helpmeet, which which really obscures the point because we don't talk like that and and we don't understand that. So let me explain. The point is that, that Adam needed someone who was suitable to be his helper. It was a suitable, unique helper. That's what helpmeet means. Someone who is his helper who corresponds to him. Without a wife, Adam was really incomplete. He needed a woman who would complement what was lacking in him. Someone who would be his unique helper. Someone uniquely suitable to be his counterpart. 
See, even though he was perfect in the sense of sinless, he was still incomplete without a wife. You know why marriage is good? It's good because a man needs a woman. And a woman needs a man. That's why it's good, because we need one another. See, in our society, we have just about lost this understanding of marriage as two individuals who need one another to be complete. The concept of a wife being your husband's helper is an insult to many women. And and you know that. It may even be an insult to you as I say this. They see themselves as liberated from that role. I, I have a friend whose daughter is in a major university in this state. And uh, her major is home economics. And I said, oh, how many are in her major? He said, 20. 20 women in her major of home economics. And you know why? Because it seems so demeaning. So demeaning for a woman to study about uh, taking care of a home, taking care of her husband. Watched the film the other, the other week. And uh, in this film, the man gives his fiancée a, a blender. And she says, the wedding is off. It's just off. She's furious because he's sending a message to her. And I want you to be home and work with the blender. Well, they got things patched up, but uh, that's a, a, you see, it's an insult to women today to say that God created woman to be a helper to a man. She wants to be liberated from that. You see, it's only, though, when a wife realizes that God created her to help her husband, that she is liberated from being a slave to the role that society dictates and pressures her and intimidates her to take. That's really what's happening. It's really what's happening. Now, what does the scripture say? That's, that's really what we're interested in. Let's look at Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 22. This is what God says. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It is good to get married. It is good to have a wife. And then Proverbs 31 expands on this and says some of the things that, that a wife does that, that makes it good. Proverbs 31, verse 10. In fact, from 10 on is about the excellent, uh, the excellent wife. But it says in verse 10, An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Why? Because she helps him. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then it explains how industrious she is and, and what a wonderful wife and mother she is. And um, Now, I, I want to I explain. I want to explain. We, we have to, lest you, you get an imbalanced view of what the scriptures say. This does not mean that a wife has no life of her own. We're not saying that. And it does not mean that she she can never do anything that benefits herself. Or that she she can't become involved in activities or ministries outside of the home. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. But it does mean that she should never do anything that would be harmful to her husband. And it does mean that she should uh, never do anything that that would cause her to neglect her primary ministry of helping her husband. Now within that framework, she can do other things. But that's the priority, to be a helper to her husband. How is marriage good? Well, what was Adam's basic need? Companionship. He was alone. He needed a woman. He needed someone who he could talk to, someone he could discuss things with, he could think problems through with, someone he could get another perspective on. He needed that. And so, as we go back to Genesis chapter 2, 
We see there was only one person who could meet that need. Verse 19, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to the, to the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. No animal could be that companion to Adam. No animal could be that companion. And that's the point of this. Companionship is the basic need of a man. It's the main reason why someone should get married. Companionship. Not because of sex and not because he has feelings for that, for that young lady or she has feelings for him. It's not why you get married. Companionship is the basic purpose of marriage. It's why it's good. Proverbs, once again, Proverbs chapter 2. I want to I just give you some insight on this. This is not the only place that says this. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17. God says, speaking of, of, well, let's look at verse 16. It says, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenants of her God. Notice when, when God is speaking of someone who's an adulteress, he says, she leaves the companion of her youth. She was, was brought to be with that man for companionship. He didn't say she leaves the lover the sexual partner of, of her youth, she leaves the companion of her youth. In Malachi chapter 2, we see the same, the same truth. Malachi 2 verse 14. If you can't get there fast enough, just write it down. It says, Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenants. They were putting away their wives. They were divorcing their wives. And God is saying that you dealt treacherously, not with a woman, not with your sexual partner, but with the companion of your youth, the companion who you covenanted before God to stay with and be a companion to. You see, so God says that, that the basic purpose of marriage is companionship. And yet, when you speak to many couples... Uh, they don't. They are not companions. They they do not have healthy communication. They may talk down to one another. They may talk at one another. They may not talk to one another at all. But it's a rare thing to find healthy communication. And that's why, Lord willing, next we're going to deal with effective communication. What does the Bible say about how we talk to one another? And not only talk, how we listen to one another. We'll deal with that next. And I encourage you to come back and to invite people as well. You see, I have found through countless hours of marital counseling that whenever you have a healthy marriage, you always, always have healthy, good communication. And whenever there is a problem in a marriage, whenever there is a breakdown and, and a disaster is, has hit a marriage and they've come to me uh, for help or they go to anybody, always, always, there is a problem with communication. Always there's a problem with communication. There is a breakdown in real communication. So if marriage is good, then we need to ask this question. Is singleness bad? Because I realize that not everybody here is going to be married. And I realize that there are singles who are listening to this saying, well, what about my state? Well, let's just address that for a moment. 
Is singleness bad? No, but it is not the norm. It is not the norm. It may be God's unique will for you, but it is not the norm. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 26 says something, and I just don't want to be misunderstood, so I want to just take a moment to, to deal with this. 1 Corinthians 7, 26. Paul writes, I trust then, or I think then, that this is good, and he's speaking about singleness, in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Uh, I, I realize that some of you have studied this, and you might lift this verse out and say, but wait a minute. Uh, here Paul says that singleness is good. So, um, how could marriage be good if God says, I, I think that you ought to remain as you are? Well, notice he says in verse 26, he doesn't just say it's good. He says it's good in view of the present distress. Apparently, the Apostle Paul realized that um, upon that church soon would come severe persecution, severe distress. And in light of that stress, and in light of persecution, it was better to remain single than to get married. And that, that just makes sense. Persecution is a lot easier to endure for an individual who is single than one who has responsibilities for a wife and children. That's just common sense. So he's not saying that singleness is, is good in the sense that it is the norm for everyone. He's already established in Genesis that it is good for a man to get married because a man needs a woman to help him and a woman needs a man to, uh, to, to be a help too. But there are times, there are exceptions when singleness would be good. When would that be? Well, in times of certain persecutions, also uh, that individual would need God's grace and strength. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 that you also need a gift to remain single. You need the gift of celibacy. So I just want to clarify that and balance it. It may be God's unique will for you to be single, but it is not the norm. It is the norm for God to bring a man and a woman together. That is his general purpose for people because it is good for man to be together with a woman who can help him. Marriage is good. Of course, not everyone thinks their marriage is good, and many marriages are in bad shape. But the concept is a good one, and when married couples both follow the design that God gave us in His Word, marriage is fantastic. Welcome to Verse by Verse. If you just found us on your radio, we're glad to have you with us. Verse by Verse is a radio Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you missed the start of the class, you can hear this entire message at our website, versebyverseradio.org The website once more, versebyverseradio.org Now, let's return to our class. We've been learning what the Bible says about the goodness of marriage, and we're about to move on to the permanence of marriage. Here is Pastor Steve. So the first basic truth about marriage is that marriage is good. It is not bad. It is not a horrible situation. It is good. Second basic truth is that marriage is permanent. Now, I hesitate to use that expression permanent because whenever someone says that, we, we usually think only of the divorce issue. And that's not the stress of Genesis chapter 2. That is not the emphasis when, when God speaks of the permanency. Because we can miss the major point if we're only thinking about divorce. I want you to look at verse 24. For this cause... A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
After God brought Eve to Adam, and that's in the verses just before that, he stated that unlike the relationship between a parent and a child, which is temporary, only temporary, the relationship between a husband and a wife is permanent. That's the major point. The permanency is in contrast to the temporary relationship between a parent and a child. A man leaves his parents and he cleaves to his wife. But what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Let's, let's examine it. What does it mean to leave your parents? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what it does not mean, what it can't mean. It cannot mean that you abandon or forsake your parents, that you have no ongoing relationship with them. How do we know that? Because that would absolutely conflict with other scripture. In fact, you don't need to turn there, but Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 says that grandfathers are to teach their, their children and their children's children. They are to have an ongoing relationship with their, which they're actually involved in, in some type of teaching of their grandchildren. So you can't say that, that they never have an ongoing relationship. Also, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 speaks of widows, and it says that a man is responsible to take care of his widowed mother. So you can't just cut the relationship off so that it doesn't exist anymore. They do talk. They do carry on a relationship. It also doesn't mean that you have to move away from your parents. Some people could move a thousand miles away, three thousand miles away, and yet not leave their parents in the biblical sense. So it's not just a geographic move. So what does it mean to leave father and mother it means that you move out of a child-parent relationship and into an adult relationship with them. You now enter a different relationship. You leave a temporary relationship for a permanent one. When we get married, the relationship with our parents must change. You are no longer dependent upon your, your parents for them to care for you, for them to, to give you their approval. For them to assist you, you are no longer dependent upon them to do that. You now, and I'm speaking now to the husbands, because specifically in Genesis 2, it's addressed to the man. The husband now becomes the head of a new relationship, a relationship with his wife. And it's this relationship which is now your priority. That is so important. So important. You see, while the relationship of a child to his parents is important, it is only temporary. Only temporary. When he or she gets married, there's a new and a permanent relationship with that couple. And that's the priority. And every couple needs to know that. And unfortunately, not every couple knows that. Now, we want to be very straightforward. We want to be very practical about this, this issue because a great many Christians have abandoned this truth by neglecting their marriages and pouring all of their energy. Parents have done this. Pouring all of their energy and, and money and thoughts and resources into their children and they have done a terrible injustice to their, to their spouse. They have built their lives around their children and I want you to know that it's wrong. It's not wrong to love them. It's wrong to, to build everything around them. God didn't put a parent and a child in the Garden of Eden. He put a husband and a wife there. He never said to a parent and child, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, how can you tell if you have not separated from your parents? If you have not left them in the biblical sense, how can you tell? Let me give you some, some helpful points. And you know what? It doesn't matter what age you are. 
It doesn't even matter. I'll, I'll tell you something. You could even be emotionally tied to a parent or uh, a father or a mother who's dead. That's right. So don't think, well, this is just for the young people. No, it's for everybody. First of all, how can you tell when you are more concerned about your parents' opinions and ideas than you are your spouse? When that matters more to you what mom and dad think than what your husband or wife thinks, then you have not left father and mother. Secondly, when you are still emotionally tied to your parents, maybe even through bad attitudes that never were resolved. If they're alive, you need to go and resolve them. There are some people who are just tied. They are emotionally tied. We use the expression, never cut the apron strings. Third way you can know, when your parents' concerns come before your spouse, what your parents want, more important than what your husband or wife wants, then you've not left. Another way you can know, when pleasing mom and dad is more important than pleasing your spouse, you want to please them so bad. It really doesn't matter what your, what your spouse says. You just want to please your spouse, uh, please your mom and dad. And this is one that can be very convicting. When you enjoy the companionship of your parents over your spouse, that one can hurt. When you, re- you enjoy, I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy getting together with them, but when you enjoy uh, getting together with them more than you enjoy getting together with your husband or wife, then you've not left your father and your mother. The best thing that parents can do for their children is just prepare them to leave. Prepare them to cleave. Don't center life around your child. I think that Christian families are so guilty about this. We never do anything, uh, or let me put it in a positive way, we always do everything together as a family. And I said, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't always do everything together as a family. When do you leave the children and do something together as a couple? And I want to say to, to, to young people here, you can help your parents by, by saying, you go out tonight, we'll take care of everything. Now, would that be refreshing? The best thing that a child can, can do for his parents is say, we'll take care of things. We want you to get away. We want you to go out tonight. We want, even, even if you can't afford it, just go to the mall. Just be together. Hold hands and, and walk through the mall. We'll take care of the dishes. We'll take care of things. See, parents, prepare them to leave and cleave. Don't, if you center life around the child, you will cripple him emotionally. And there are many Christians who have done that to their children, where their children can function apart from calling mom and dad every day. Well, those are some sure signs, aren't they, that someone hasn't quite cut the apron strings. And sometimes parents don't want to let go. It can be tricky altering the relationship gracefully. So parents, you can help by not holding too tightly to that great relationship you had with your children. This new relationship is a good one too. And more about that tomorrow. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like to hear this program again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or sign up for our free podcasting service. You can also subscribe to our complimentary newsletter. That's versebyverseradio.org. 
Today's program was the middle part of Pastor Steve's message that is titled, Basics for the Biblical Family. If you would like to hear the entire message, you can order an audio CD containing the entire message. Please call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That's 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry. We depend upon the gifts and prayers of interested listeners who have first been supportive of their local church. Please join us again tomorrow at this same time for the conclusion of Pastor Steve's message covering the basics of the biblical family. I'm Peter Silsa. I hope to see you then.